so good to be with you all today. Ladies and gentlemen, if the sermon drags a bit, we have goats brought in. Ron, I think after this service, I want to get a few shots up there. I'll be, Dr. James Pettifield's here. We're on a Galilean hillside right now, and I want to explore Jesus's metaphor. It looks just like you're in Israel, so saved you a trip, everyone. Saved you a trip. You know, a little something for the effort. So it's great to be with you. Um, a lot of exciting things are happening. One, the goats. Okay? Two, um, I have indeed a mullet. I have an intentional. This is intentional. These are racing stripes. It's not just me moving at an accelerated pace. Um, kind of some 80s nostalgia going on in my life this summer. So we're going to embrace it together. We're going to embrace it together. And um, the sermon thing today, I'm going to call them sermon things for now on. Is that a good brand? <laughs> Mia, you're creative. Is that good? Sermon thing? All right, good. So we've confirmed. Uh, the sermon thing today is a passage from a text that could not sound more boring. Weird thing to hear a pastor say. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Like 4 is already kind of a boring number, right? Like 4, nothing exciting about that. Thessalonians, right? It sounds like something you would never want to explore. It sounds like thistles or something. I don't know what it sounds like. It's a weird one. And first, so there's two of them, and the creative answer was to call one one and the other two. So it already sounds a little bit boring, but what we're going to uh, discover, I hope, and we've been exploring in this series through First Thessalonians, is that these were real people with beating hearts, big dreams, hurts, habits, challenges, like frustrations, um, relationships, complexity. Yes, they spoke a different language than we spoke. Yes, they are thousands of years before us. But what we find, and one of my favorite parts about history, is again and, and again you encounter regular folks trying to figure out what it looks like to put one foot in front of another in this thing called life and hopefully find peace and purpose and happiness. And so we're going to explore First Thessalonians 4, and it's going to be, I think, it's a great passage. So that's cool as well. And I have some special effects for the intro to the sermon. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, special effects. So we got the goats, the mullet, the passage, and special effects. Welcome to the River Church of the South Bay. Thank you. Basel gave me a little bit of a clap there. It was a good so, so I'm going to uh, begin reading something. I'm just going to kind of read some stuff I've written down, and there's going to be some sounds, some sounds coming out. And what I want to capture, and, and I really mean this, it, this message today is not just something that I opened up the text and I go, what does it say and how can I communicate it in a way that won't put people to sleep? And indeed, it's actually some themes that have been on my heart and kind of percolating in my life. And I've been feeling a lot in the 2021 moment that we're in, in the sociocultural reality that we live in, technological, financial, complex metropolis, Los Angeles, within the United States of America, in the almost post-pandemic moment that we're in. Okay, so this is truly coming from a place of a lot more than one week's prep. All right, so it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean it's going to be good. It just means it's something that I really want to talk about. So 
Um, we're going to play a little something, and I'm going to read a couple things to you. And I want us to think about the oh, we got a we're all in. No, that's good. That's perfect. I ideal. Faster, slower Wi-Fi. Infinite choices to be made. Whether you're at Chipotle, Ikea, getting some insurance, thinking about finances. Yelp reviews to be written and read. Political noise. Political noise from all sides of the aisle. Punditry upon punditry. Opinion, narratives, voices, screaming, loudest ones heard. The all-consuming, pulsating, polyvocal platforms of social media in every orifice of our lives. The news reminding you to stay scared, stay angry, stay inside, and stay tuned. YouTube rabbit holes of death dragging us down. And sometimes, unfortunately, pastors like me adding to the noise of your life. Well-intentioned people inadvertently contributing to the parade marching through our aching minds. Every week as we gather and stop and put our eyes and hearts and lives in sort of a unified direction towards an ancient body of wisdom, thinking about that which is ultimate, it's an opportunity for us to just quiet ourselves. And so I'm going to read this passage this morning, and I'm going to ask us to reflect and ponder three poorly written, grammatically problematic questions that may indeed bring some life and hope and clarity and truth to our 2021. As for other matters, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live and thrive in order to please our God and in fact, you're doing it. You're living it out. And now we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority, by the voice of our Lord Jesus. It is God's will, God's desire, God's design for you to be set apart. For you to be different. For you to be sanctified. Avoid sexual immorality. Each of you learn, learn how to control your own bodies in a way that is set apart, that is different, that is honorable. Not being thrown this way and that way in passionate lust like those around you that don't even know God. And that in this matter, the matter of how we use our bodies, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will recompense, will meet all those who commit these kinds of sins. 
And we told you, we warned you before. God didn't call us to this. This wasn't what we were designed for. He called us to live a holy life. Therefore, if anyone doesn't listen to this instruction, if you ball up your fist and reject this instruction, just know you're not rejecting a human opinion. You're rejecting the very mind of God who gave you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another. Oh my goodness, your love for one another. We don't even need to write you anything. You yourselves, you have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout all of Macedonia, the area that they lived. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do it more and more and make it your ambition. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. Work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and you will not be dependent on anybody. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we have hope. We believe Jesus died. We believe he rose again. We believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him according to the Lord's word we tell you that we who are still alive who are left until the coming of the Lord we will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God's call and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Thank you so much for putting on the tunes, Amanda. So that audible odyssey i have taken you on <laughs> sort of a metaphor i think for what i hope and pray it is that we do as a community i really hope and pray that what we look to is the quiet voice of wisdom and that we do not we're not just another contribution to the noise in your life not just another brick in the backpack that you carry, that you come and we say, hey, thanks for coming. Here's another brick for you to carry. Better do good. Now get out there. But rather, we want to look to the rich, delicious well of wisdom and life and truth. And that wisdom and life and truth is not a dead, flat set of propositions. It's a person. It's a God who's alive and active in the time that this letter is being written in the ancient Roman Mediterranean and in our very moment today. It's a person. It's the creative genius that put this all together. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the cosmos, the God of the quasars, the God of the corks, the God of everything. And so this morning, instead of adding a complex ladder of 
new noise into your life. I hope to just ask three really simple questions that are poorly worded, but I, uh, I hope will penetrate into um, some of the noise that I've been living in, that you're living in, and, and invite us to reflect about our lives this morning. So the first question that I would invite us to talk about for a moment is this. Where, oh where, oh where, is creative wisdom in your life? Where is creative wisdom in your life? This, this portion of the letter begins kind of elbowing into a crowded marketplace of ideas and habits and things that are just taken for granted as normal in the cultural milieu, sounds French, milieu, of the world of the Thessalonians. And in this case, the particular issue has to do with the use of the body and human sexuality. And if we had time in an audience that didn't include younger viewers, maybe, <laughs> we, I could s have a quick talk on um, Roman sexuality in the first century. I have some classes. I think, Kirby, I think you were in one of my classes where we covered these. These Where's Kirby at? Oh, she's, oh, she's in the back with Basil. Um, so I, we have a whole section where we explore and think about it. But let me give you um, sort of a, I guess, a G-rated summary. Many of the ways in which human beings have used their bodies with other human beings uh, in the ancient Roman Empire, we would look at and say, like, that's unquestionably, unquestionably oppressive and terrible and, like, really kind of shocking and horrifying. And not just us here that maybe say, I follow Jesus, I follow Jesus' ethic of human sexuality, but even folks in our culture broadly would be like, whoa, that's messed up. That is jacked up. And and yet in their world, it just wasn't. It wasn't thought of that way. It was just so like, why is that a problem? I don't, I don't understand. And so these new baby believers are coming into the faith of Christ. They're captivated by the words and ways of this Jesus of Nazareth. They're captivated by the notion that they've been forgiven and that they have peace with God and that there's hope reigning in their lives. And yet they're in this crowded marketplace of ideas and there are all kinds of voices and opinions and just the way it is with, re with respect to human sexuality. And Paul has to remind them of something, that God is the creator, the designer. He actually knows best how your bodies work and how you are made to not just yourself enjoy what it calls here um, passionate lust, not just fulfill every craving that you have in the way you want to in that moment, so long as it's cool with everyone. But rather, there's actually a design and a beauty. And then his next line is, do not hurt your brothers and sisters in Christ in this way. Meaning, it's not just about you. This is also a community ethic, and people are being hurt. And we could talk about what that was like and how that worked. But the point I want to bring up this first question is, where is creative wisdom in your life? Though this passage speaks to one arena of human life, we could ask this question about almost every arena of life. We are, as if you're following Jesus, it's a really crazy cool call that is a totalizing call. That is, it reaches into like every aspect of who you are. 
which is kind of, some people do not like that. It can be frustrating. I kind of sometimes revolt to like, ah, everything, everything. Like, that seems like sort of all-consuming. It's the call of Jesus that says, leave your nets and come follow me. It's the call of Jesus that people say, hey, let me first go bury my father. This is like some passages in the Gospels. And Jesus replies, let the dead bury their dead. You need to come and follow me. It's this call that says, will you trust me with every key to every door in your life? Because you really can't halfway do it. It's like dropping in on a half pipe, which my son did the first time last week. So excited. (laughs) Drop in. You got to snap in and lean in and go for it. You can't halfway do it or you will dislocate your shoulder like I did when I was doing it. So this is the call of Jesus. It's a big call, but it's a call that says you've been made for something. You've been designed for something. And are you listening to that creative wisdom or are you listening to the loudest voice Or, now this one's an interesting one, that voice which feels the path of least resistance or that voice that feels normal and natural or whatever it is. This is the big challenge that Paul brings to them or the the question that I think we can reflect on. So I just moved. I just moved. And my life has become like a poorly viewed HGTV show, like numbskull under the house is what we should call it or something like that. But (laughs) I'm like, I am not a tool guy. I'm not. I have like a Swiss Army knife, and that's pretty much it. And and those little Allen wrenches that come with Ikea stuff, I have a bunch of those. They're all the same size, though. So I'm not that guy. And you could ask people to know me. I've just never been that guy. I'm kind of dainty with those sort of things (laughs) to describe it. Uh, And so I am like on this rad learning curve because this house was perfect in 1967. Like absolutely. I feel like Austin Powers is going to bust out of one of the closets. And like it's totally that vibe, right? Carpets and like sponge paint everywhere and just rad. There's a, I won't say it, but there's a big old bar in the middle of it. There's a Save the Bar campaign going Uh, right now. So if you want to join, donate to the GoFundMe. Anyways, so this place is so epic and yet it's epic 1967. And so my wife is a creative genius with all these kinds of things. And so we have this, she has this rad vision for it and we're working like crazy and I know nothing, but I know people who know a lot. And so, um, one of my buddies, uh, one of my, my, my best friends is this guy, Dave Watson, who's a master home builder. He's just absolutely, I think one of the best in California. He's ridiculously good. Skilled. And I'm doing like all this sort of finish work and working with saws, which is probably a bad idea, but I do it anyway. And he, I watch him, his whole deal is I'll I'll help you. He's way above my pay grade. I could never afford him, but he's like, but I'll show you what to do and you do it. And so I'm with him. And what I notice as he's doing finish work is like, He's measuring and then measuring again and then measuring again and then measuring again. And then he makes that cut and puts it up and it's like butter. Like, oh, baby, look at that crown molding. My gosh, like to take you out, buy a dinner, serenade you. It looks clean. It looks good, right? This is, this is how it ends up. Me, as it gets into the afternoon, I start eyeballing stuff. You ever like start eyeballing stuff when you're doing cuts? Like, half an inch, right? And every time, half an inch, and there goes 14 feet of floorboard because it's half an inch now too short. You know what I'm talking about? Eyeballing it, right? And there's this thing of eyeballing it where like your instincts, sometimes you're going to get it right. It feels like it's right. I think it looks good to me, to my untrained eyes. And here's a dude who's like an expert and he's like, I'm going to check it against this measure because the tape ain't going to lie. 
right? It's going to give me the right measurement. And, and I think we th- when we think about this perspective Paul's bringing, he's saying there is a measurement to how we thrive as a community and as individuals. And if you're eyeballing it and just kind of listening to like Price is Right style and culture, hey, what should I do? One dollar, Bob, like just kind of eyeballing it or listening for the loudest voice, you're going to get the bad cut. You're going to mess things up eventually and probably often, right? Um, another house-related thing, because that's kind of all I'm doing right now, uh, my father-in-law is an expert master electrician, like a master electrician. Someone that you're watching, like, this is like a Rembrandt of ground wiring, if that's a thing, right? This is like the Picasso of putting in lights. This is the dude. And and same deal. He'll help me put in a panel, help me put in all the stuff. Well, he'll, he'll do that part. But he'll do all this stuff, and he's excited to do it, but he goes, I want you to do it with me. I want to show you stuff. So I'm under a house. I'm above a house. I'm in attics. The first time under the house, I'm cruising. You know, and if you've ever been buried alive, it's a lot like that, right? Just underneath the house, pushing wires aside, kind of making my way to where I need to go, feeling really brave and, like, good at stuff. Like, I feel like a man, a dainty man, but a man nonetheless. And here I am under the house. And I'm doing some stuff with wire, kind of grunt work things, right? The stuff you hire that nephew that can't hold a job down, but you have to hire him because he's family. It's kind of me. And so I'm under the house, and I come back out. And I go back in with my dad, who's actually here right, right now. He hates that I'm pointing him out, but there's Jim right there, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and I'm under the house with them, and he goes, all right, James, see that wire right there? If there's a fray in that, you touch it, it'll kill you. And it's a painful death. <laughs> he adds that line to it. I'm like, that's great. I'm so glad. I was literally, like, slashing, my, macheting my way through it not more than five minutes ago. Like, and watching him handle things and, and putting things in, I re- like, my number one thing I ask him now is, hey, Dad, can I touch this? Hey, Dad, will this kill me? Hey, Dad, anything in here that's going to murder me, I need to know right now. Right? I'm constantly checking in. Why? Because this dude knows it. I have no idea. So I'm checking in to a master on these topics. And so I think when we think about our lives, not just in the arena of human sexuality, but in all these areas of life, it's one of those big faith moments. Like, are, you, are we going to lean into the fact that, is it true that there is a God who created and really does know how we thrive? And it's not just we might screw our lives up and it won't look pretty. It might be that we end up stepping on something that destroys our life, or worse yet, according to this passage, destroys someone else's life. And so, the call and the question, where is creative wisdom, is a big one that I would love for us all to consider in this moment of narratives and noise and the loudest one wins. The most likes must be true. Um, Where are we looking for wisdom in our life? And it continues and says, but your love for one another, verse 9, we don't even need to write to you at all. For you yourselves have been taught by God. You have looked and learned from the right person about this fundamental piece of life, love. Fundamental um, human activity. You know it so well. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. We urge you, brothers and sisters, just keep going. Do it more and more. And then verse 11, this is a big question I want us to ask. And that is this, how is your quiet? How is your quiet? 
How is your quiet? Verse 11, make it your ambition. There's a big, fat, fun word. Yeah, come on, Paul, what you got? What's your, make it your ambition to build it bigger, to go further, to make your voice heard, to shake it up. Game change. That word is used way too much these days, right? Everything's a game changer. I use it too much. Make it your ambition what? To lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Like that could be it right there. I say that in prayer. Hey, everyone, mind your own business. And work with your hands, which means be productive. You're actually designed to pour yourself into some really meaningful work, just as we told you, so that your daily life will win the respect of outsiders. Notice, not your platforms, not your posts, not your T-shirts, not your rallies, not your platitudes, not your platforms. I think I said that already. But your life. People are going to look at it and go, dang, that's weird. Wow, that's refreshing. I can argue with their position. I can argue with the history of the movement they're a part of. I can argue with aspects of their worldview. But I just can't seem to get around the fact that this person is legit. Not perfect, but they own their mistakes and they apologize and they forgive and they're kind and they actually care for others. And so I wanted to, um, I have like a few more minutes of my part of the sermon, but I wanted to bring someone up, someone that would actually probably never, never want to come up in front of anybody. Um, I tend to be a loud, verbose person. The prophetas, my new neighbors, can probably attest to that. Mostly yelling at my kids, but I'm also saying things that are funny or nice. And so I tend to be like, look at my new mullet. Like, check this out, everyone. Don't fall asleep. There are goats. I tend to like to, I just, how I am. I can't help it. I get excited about literally everything. But there, there are these amazing sages of love in our midst that are, they're quiet. They come into a room, and they don't try to dominate that room. And it could be easily missed in a moment. Like, oh, yeah. And all of a sudden, you catch a glimpse of their life, and you get a little closer. And you go, this is a masterpiece. This person's a genius of love, of care for others. And I want to bring up Jake Anderson. Jake, come up here. <laughs> it's an act of love for him literally to come up here. <laughs> And I'm going to say something about him as he comes up here that he would never, ever want me to say. As a pastor, I know things about people, right, that they have shared. I'm not like a gossip. I hate gossip. But I know things about people, and I know inside things about people. Some of them I could bring you down if I wanted to, and I don't. And some of them are secret parts of their life that are some of the deepest acts of care for others and self-sacrifice that they would never, ever want known. I have so much... I don't know what the opposite of dirt is, but I have so much of that on this guy. Things that you have done in your life, Jake, things that you have given, things that you have sacrificed that I wish so bad I could just list off right now. You're a legend, my friend. And so I go, I want Jake Anderson to come up here. And Jake, I just want to hear for a moment, like your reflection on love. What Paul says the Thessalonians do really, really well. And when I look at your life and you're legit, you really care for people, and you do it with a quiet confidence and a selflessness that's astounding, and I love you, and I'm thankful for you, and you have an epic beard. 
Look at that beard. I mean, that's just that's enough right there. Get a close up, Ron. I'm kidding. You don't have to. <laughs> Poor Ron. Get the goats. Get a close up. Watch me dance. So, so with that introduction, Jake, I just I just asked Jake to share a little bit about like your life and especially like how do you see the world when you enter a room and you see others, like how do you perceive it? What are your thoughts, priorities? What goes through your mind? Encourage us a little bit. So, here you go. Uh, well, thanks. Um, I really appreciate it, and you're too kind. Uh, so when I go into a room, I guess I just think three things. I'll keep it short. Um, the first is I can be kind of cynical, and so when I see people or people do things to me, my instant reaction is usually to be like, uh, like I call them out for it in my mind. I don't do it in, in person because I don't like conflict, but like tell them off in my mind and like go on them. And I have to stop myself and realize most people when they do things to you don't actually intend or do it out of any malicious intent. Um, most people are just living their lives and when they make mistakes or when they hurt you, they're not thinking about you. They're doing something else completely. Um, somebody dings the cor door on your car. They're not like getting out of their car and like slamming and getting into your door thinking like, I just want to ruin this guy's day. They're just, um, you know, busy pulling the kids out and they accidentally like bump it and they're like, shoot, do I leave a note? I don't want to like be that guy. Um, what do I do? And they just like go off and freak out or the barista that gives you an old cold cup of coffee isn't thinking to themselves like, oh, I really want to, you know, just ruin this person's day and cup of coffee. And then like, you're like, what do I do? Do I give it back? I don't know. Like they weren't thinking to themselves. I want to just, I want to give you something bad. People generally speaking, want good things or like when my wife and I get into arguments, there's nobody in this world um, that loves me more and wants the best intent for me. And so oftentimes, though, in those moments of heatedness, you can lose sight of that and see that person or anybody around us as the enemy and that they have have it out for you or bad intent or they're malicious. And it's like, not at all. They, they have nothing but love. And even if in our selfish opinionated views in those moments, even in her most selfish version, I'm still looked after. And it's like, and so in those moments, I think the Holy Spirit steps in and has to like remind me, Jake, stop. This person is not your enemy. They're not out to get you. They're not doing this maliciously. I mean, there are some people out there that do things maliciously. So if you're dealing with that, like that's a different situation. But those are a few and further between, I think. Um, or at least we should hope and live our life that way if we're trying to be like Christ. Uh, so people are not out maliciously trying to ruin your life and then two we're called to live this life out of grace um so i just reminded of the parable in the bible when the king forgives the debt of this servant and it's a massive debt i think bill or somebody gave us a sermon a couple months ago um and it's huge more than he could ever pay off and it's supposed to be representing the gracious love of god that is just poured down on us undeservedly and and then he goes off and goes to this guy who owes him a couple bucks and just like pounds it into him and, like demands every last cent and like takes him to the collector 
just ruin tries to ruin his life and he gets back to the king and he's like what are you doing i've given to you so graciously why are you not giving out of that to other people um so when people aren't out to get you and you shouldn't be people that are out to get other people because we are living uh, every day in an, an overwhelming amount of grace of god and then lastly what does that look like to other people uh, i mean to a third of my day i'm asleep sometimes less and then like well i'm with my family all day because i work from home um but most of my day is spent working and dealing with people that are not believers. And that's m- a lot, a good chunk of my week. You can't tell people about Christ it's like in the workplace and you can't talk to them and you can't do that in any way. And so how do you share that love with somebody when you can't say anything? And if you're living out those first two things, it just naturally pours out of your life toward others that you're living in love you're not expecting the worst of them and that you're living graciously toward them for when somebody does offend you and hurt you. And it's better to be hurt than, I mean, it's no problem for me to get hurt by somebody. Like, it's like, okay, I can take it on the chin. It's not a big deal, but that might be your only chance to ever see God and at work in your life. And that's the only way that I can do it is by living graciously toward you, even though you might not know why I'm doing it and I don't ever need you to know. And I don't really care. That's fine. Um, if you come to know him later, great. And if not, I guess that's, that's a whole another story in the sad, but um, it's God who does the saving. It's not me. So, uh, yeah, that's how you Jay, come on, man. I love it. Come here. Come here, you. Come here, you. Thanks, Jake, so much for sharing. Thank you, Jake. So, love and living a quiet life. Living the quiet life. Um, how was your quiet? How was your quiet? And as people of the Lord, are we living in the quiet of our God? Are we taking refuge in the quiet of our God? Not burying our heads in the sand not disconnecting from the engagement that the Lord calls us to, not going after the the vocations and callings and causes that God's put in front of us. But are we running through our minds and hearts the quiet of God? Or are we just piping in more noise? Because I'm guilty of that. A lot of noise I pipe in. A lot of perspective. And it feels productive. Like I'm doing something. I'm listening to 50 opinions on something. And finding myself angry, strangely. Or am I resting in the quiet of God? And um, last point on this, and my last point's real small, so real short, says the pastor every time. In closing, the biggest lie a pastor ever says. But this time I mean it. I'm good for it. In um, 1 Kings chapter 19, there's this really cool moment with Elijah, this prophet who speaks for God to God's people, and he is on the run. People want him dead. They do have malicious intent, these people. They want him gone, and he's discouraged, and he's tired. His mind is tired. His body is tired. He is at the end of it. Some of you probably feel that way in your life right now, and he's in this cave hiding out, and God says, Elijah, get up to the mouth of the cave. I'm going to reveal myself to you. You're going to see me, G-O-D, outside the cave. 
so get ready for it. And it's this really epic scene where Elijah stands out there. He's got his cloak, and he's bracing himself, and there's a wind, loud, raging wind. It's like breaking stuff off the mountains. It's incredibly big, and you're thinking, this must be God. Oh, baby, the wind is shaking. And, it, and the text says, and God was not in the wind. And then there's this earthquake. I mean, the ground is moving, people. It's shaking. Rocks are falling. Dust is flying. It feels like the world is ending. And it says, and God was not in the earthquake. And then there's fire, like this spiritual fire. Could there be anything more divine? The potent power of God ripping through a canyon in fire. And it says, and God was not in the fire. And then a gentle whisper, a quiet whisper. And God was in the whisper. And he speaks to Elijah in this whisper. Are we encountering the God of the whisper? I know that's a little poetic. That's how I roll. I have a mullet. I got to be poetic. The God of the whisper. Are we leaning into that? And the last question I want to ask is, what do you hope? Grammatically incorrect. No preposition. What do you hope? Like, really think about that this week. Let that be a giant platform off of which which you can dive into the pool of thought. What do you hope? The last section of this passage encourages this community, ramshackle, motley crew community in the middle of the Roman Mediterranean with all the pains and hopes, fears and joys, problems, and prophets of any human community at any time. He reminds them, you're a people of hope. We actually believe that there will be a grand finale that will be awe-inspiring, that wrongs will be made right, that renewal will come, a happy ending, a true, glorious, hopeful ending. And I don't know where it happened, and maybe I'm just preaching to myself. And if you've been on the bus of Christianity in the 20th and 21st century for, for a while, you may have noticed this. But somehow, some way, we can fall into a rut of cynicism and almost delight in chaos. Oh, it's going to end soon. The world's coming apart. Look at that. Where'd you learn that? The news. The world's ending. This is it. Jesus is coming back. Oh, man so bad out there, you guys. It's so bad out there, you guys, right? And, and again, there are terrible things. I'm not denying that. But are we marked as a people of hope? When people encounter us after that, they go, gosh, I feel more hopeful. I actually, these people hope. They're kind of silly, actually. They're a little bit optimistic and a little bit naive, in my opinion, because they're so audaciously hopeful. They look at the world and they go, this could be amazing. It's like when you meet visionary people, people that are creators, that are just lost in their art. And you go, that's inspiring. As it turns out, that's our sacred inheritance. That's our tradition. That's our family resemblance as a people of hope. Oh, that's another person of hope. More than our t-shirts, our platforms, our politics, our yelling, and our alliteration, which I love alliteration. Are we people of hope? What do you hope for? Let's get back to that hope. So we're going to turn now to worshiping the God of the quiet, to taking refuge for a moment with music. And I mean, could you, I don't know where the goats went. Maybe they're hidden behind the thing, but 
<laughs> it's like goat yoga, but like worship. And we're going to turn to take a moment together of quiet reflection with worship, music, sounds of rejoicing, sounds of hope. And maybe, just maybe, turn to that creative wisdom, that quiet, and that hope again. So let me pray, and let's worship. Lord, thank you. We turn to you now in the quiet. In Jesus' name, amen.
song this morning. Would we quiet our hearts in the noise of the world and the noise of everything that's going on around us? Any distractions, Lord? We just surrender to you again this morning. Lord, anything that hinders that surrender, that abandonment to your love, that beckons us every morning, the mercy that is new every morning, grace and your goodness, Lord. We ask that you would come, you'd fill us with your love, that you'd replace all those places in us that might be discontented or disappointed or hurt, Lord. We give it to you this morning. We give you praise this morning. We worship you in return.
price that you paid on the cross. Jesus, we recognize what you've done for us, that you took on human flesh, that we could have full access to the Father, the love of God. So Lord, this morning, we do give you the highest praises. We give you our hearts this morning. We worship you. We give you the glory due to your name. May you be with us this week as we go out through our day. Would you quiet our lives this week? Teach us how to be a people of hope because you paid the price so that we would live in that hope. So we thank you. We love you. We honor you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. The goats left, so that was nice. It's too bad we didn't have a petting farm, but have a great day. We hope that we see you next week, sometime this week in groups. Thank you to everyone watching online. We bless you. We hope you encounter Jesus today.